Hi, everyone. You're listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on WTBRFM Pittsfield with Roberta McCulloch-Dews of the Mayor's Office in the city of Pittsfield. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we have with us Ricardo Morales, the city's commissioner for the Department of Public Services and Utilities, and Alan Rubin, a former engineer, veteran New York City-based business owner, soccer coach, and current instructor and mentor with the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at Berkshire Community College. But right now, we're going to kick things off with Ricardo. Welcome, Ricardo. Let's get started. Hi, Roberta. How are you? <laughs> Hi, Thanks Ricardo. for having me here. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. So uh, I always like to set the stage um, with all my guests. So let's get into some stats. What's your hometown? My hometown, uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico. Ah, very nice. And how long have you been a resident of Pittsfield in the Berkshires? Well, uh, I moved um, I moved to Berkshire County in 2011, July 11th, 2011. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so 10 years and ten some years. months. And was there a specific reason why you moved to well, the area? Uh, Roberta, I, I came in here because of work, mm-hmm. um, not to Pittsfield specifically, but I, we thought of Pittsfield as the, the location to, to settle uh, while we were, you know, what I, while I was working in, in Berkshire County. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, that's what brought us here, work. Okay. And what do you find appealing about the city of Pittsfield? Obviously, you work for the city of Pittsfield right now, but before you were you were a transplant. So, what were some of the things that appealed to you as someone new to the area? So, uh, we right off the bat we noticed that uh, it was it was a place in in the middle of the rural area that and beautiful rural area in in, in Berkshire County. It was a place with some more urban center core and, and we you know we we grew up me and my wife mm-hmm. we both grew up in a large city so we we decided we need some of this okay. we need some of this even though we also appreciate the the naturalness of the Berkshires mm-hmm. we needed the urbanicity of of Pittsfield I like that word urbanicity <laughs> um so made is up you, is, <laughs> That's all right. Is your wife also from San Juan? She is. Okay. Yeah. So for those who may not know San Juan, capital city? San Juan is the capital city of Puerto Rico, yes. yeah. And, uh, lar- you know, it's a large metro area. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know how many residents right. around, you right. know, the metro area, but it's a large city. So obviously you're very used to, she's very used to the, the makings of a large city and Definitely. all that it comes with. Well, obviously, that's something that you're able to easily adapt to. But what about the weather, right? Because New England is not Puerto Rico. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> right. I think you're right on that. Um, it, it was a, a lot, lots of getting used to, mm-hmm. definitely. We, uh, I had first seen snow a year before uh, moving here. And, and my wife... Uh, I would say the same thing. I think. I what believe. was that like? Seeing it, snow. It was. It was uh, very uh, exciting. It was very exciting. Uh, you know, I immediately started playing with it uh, by myself. <laughs> I was in the middle. Like I, I, I hit myself. Yeah. The first time I saw snow, I, it was work related. I was, you know, I came in with the company I was in, and and then it, it started snowing. So I, I went to a quiet place by myself, and I was like playing with the snow. It's like, oh, this is cool. Did any of your coworkers realize that you were playing with snow? I don't think so. Okay. No. 
you're able to keep that as your private joy. Yeah, yes, yes. Okay. Well, obviously, that, that is something I've heard that, you know, from folks who come from um, climates where it's warmer. Yeah. Snow is a big deal, and it makes some people happy, and it makes some people, the ones who are from here, actually say, <laughs> I want to leave the snow, and I want to leave the weather, and actually want to go where it's warmer. So. I guess happen. you always want what you don't have, right? Um, let's get a little bit into your professional work. So your current role is that of commissioner for the city's Department of Public Services and Utilities. However, you didn't actually get your start in that role. You started as the city engineer back in 2018. Let's talk a little bit about why this role was meaningful to you, because you you have a background in engineering, right? Yes, I'm, I'm an engineer uh, by training. I studied uh, engineering. I'm a graduated in Puerto Rico, uh, the Polytechnic University of Puerto Rico, uh, civil engineering. And right off the bat, I, I, you know, actually before graduating, my my goals were to pursue some urban planning and and you know uh, city planning, transportation related mm-hmm. uh, type of uh, career. That didn't pan out uh, just because there were some opportunities that. You know, presented themselves, mm-hmm. uh, and and I made my first eight years uh, plus of my uh, professional uh, career in construction management. Okay. So uh, that that was that, that a big shift. It you know when I when you studied when you study civil engineering, there's different things you can mm-hmm. do with that, and that's one of them. So you know, I. I wasn't straying too far from what I studied. Right, same um, area. Yes, construction. It's it's right up the the in in the same um, uh, profession. Let's say um, I'm not designing or anything like that. I never really thought of myself as a designer, more of a uh, you know uh, manager and 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 implementing work. Mm, okay. I always saw myself in that capacity, um, but then. Uh, one thing led to another, and and from Puerto Rico, I started, uh, you know, with the same company. Um, they brought me eventually to Massachusetts, to Berkshire County. Okay, so it was the company from Puerto Rico to yes. here. Okay. Yes. So over in Puerto Rico, I I, I did some work with the in the naval base mm-hmm. um, with that company, and then they you know they offered me. Uh, to move over to the mainland. And, now i got to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> was that something that your whole family, right? Weren't they in Puerto Rico? Was that a big shift for you to come here? It was. Uh, everyone was happy about mm-hmm. it, definitely. And at the time, I was also getting married. So it was a big ask uh, for my wife. She had just, you know, she had a little more experience uh, having graduated uh, before me. Yeah, from college, she 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 was working already, so um, with more more time on that. So she, w- you know, I will say I was I'm very grateful for uh, having Melissa as my you know my, with me mm-hmm. throughout the years. Uh, she uh, just said, "Let's do it. Very uh, nice. Let's let's embark on this experience together." And and we did. So that's brought us here. <clears throat> I think that it's always great when you're able to have um, a partner that supports your journey, but also has her own. She has her own um, ambitions as well. And she's able to find her passions here in Berkshire County, too. Right. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Right. And you have some little ones. Yes. So, uh, you know, we going with that same um, 
uh, that trajectory of yeah. what we loved, yeah. what we liked about the Berkshires. Mm-hmm. We just said this is the perfect place right. to raise a family. Like we, we just in the, with the passing of time and 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 we said we we have to do something here because we really will miss on 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 this if we let it go. So we decided to start our family here, um, and and you know I was still working for the company that brought me here. But um, it, you know, it in construction, especially in the in New England or the rest of the country, you construction management, you, you're required to travel quite mm-hmm. often. So it was tough, but mm. we we always, uh, I I always like calling Pittsfield home and and seeing my family grow here. I think that's pretty awesome because hearing stories about people who love Pittsfield. And you love Pittsfield. And you have actually a varied background in other areas, too. You've lived in other places. So um, for you to be here in Pittsfield, we're so happy to have you. And we're so happy to have you in the city of Pittsfield. I want to ask you about your um, your your leadership style, because you are no longer, obviously, the city engineer. You are the commissioner. And so I know that you started on a trajectory from interim, and then you were officially appointed in 2020. One, I have a couple of questions around that, but is the first one would be, did you ever foresee yourself in a role such as this? So uh, I don't think my, my future vision of myself went this far. Um, I, since the days uh, where I was, you know, studying in engineering, I always thought of myself as um, uh, working in, in transportation and working in in planning city planning and all that so uh, in that capacity i thought i would you know pursue at some point uh my career and, and trajectory uh helping in 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 that capacity um right now what what's what i love about what i do now is that it melds it it joins two things together it's the passion for transportation passion for city planning mm-hmm. um uh urban urban planning and my passion for community okay and and those two things mm-hmm. um uh, were never really together uh anywhere else in in my life until now so it's almost like the perfect fit i would say so well so piggybacking on that what is your leadership style because i feel like every commissioner um has their own way that they like to lead they like to engage with their staff they also like to engage with the external community what would you describe your personal style leadership style is uh leadership style so it's always tricky to say that because you you're never conscious about how you do things um or normally but i would describe it as uh being open and and uh relying on the team rather than than uh, thinking that I know all the answers, um, so that's uh, that's the way I approach every everything in the in the department, whether it's an issue that we need to resolve mm-hmm. or or some new uh, implementation of of you know new things. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me a little bit about some of the highlights of your work. So uh, obviously, right off the bat, we as after I was appointed, we had to deal with the pandemic. And I feel particularly, um, uh, I'll say, blessed that we that I, I had the opportunity to work with the with within 
a municipality that took it very seriously mm -hmm. and we did a lot of things the right way and i'm proud of the work i was able to put in to achieve that can you talk a little bit about your work because you're behind the scenes but i think the community has come to rely on um on data and we have something called the community the dashboard so you were and are instrumental in 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 this effort. So can you talk a little bit about so that? So let me let me talk about that uh, while also saying that not just me, it's mm -hmm. uh, you know several in my team. Mm -hmm. um, the the idea for the dashboard that you know informs the community of the daily um, uh, situational uh, you know conditions mm -hmm. of the of the pandemic in Pittsfield. That it was born from the GIS coordinator. Um, in in the city, and he brought the idea, and I immediately thought it was a great idea. What's his and name? Ryan Grennan. Okay. Yes. Um, so I, I thought it was a great idea. How we get that done mm -hmm. is, you know, the the important thing. So we embarked on this journey that now seems crazy to implement, but at the time we had uh, we had a different mindset of you know emergency response, and we we got it done, and and now we have that. Uh, perfect asset to inform our community. And if I'm not mistaken, the city of Pittsburgh was a trendsetter in this kind of, yes. um, you know, data analysis at the time, at least locally. Yes, right. definitely. Hmm. Well, you know, I, I think, you know, one, we, the data is still important because we know we're still going through the pandemic, right? right. And, you know, it's so interesting because even though things have lessened a little bit, we're still in it. So I think having the numbers and having information at the ready is really important to help inform people's decisions and the safety protocols that they use to keep themselves and their families safe. So I just want to say thank you and thank you for your team for doing that work um, because it's really important to our city and to our community. So we talked a little bit about the highlights and I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the elephant in the room. I got to do it, Ricardo. I got to talk about Go the bike it. lanes on North Street. <laughs> oh, boy. <Is> well, <laughs> well uh, I, I do, you know, speaking about highlights, mm -hmm. I do consider some of the things that we have implemented on North Street and throughout the city um, and in the in the programs that right. that enable those things to happen, mm -hmm. like the Shared Streets and Spaces program, mm -hmm. the Complete Streets program, which I'm proud that, you know, the city has adopted that. Well, explain that a little bit for listeners. Yeah. So um, the, there's there's concepts like uh, Complete Streets, mm -hmm. and there's also state programs that fund that type of, uh, and enable that type of mm -hmm. installation and work. Mm -hmm. So uh, the city has adopted even before I got here, the uh, Complete Streets um, uh, principles. Mm -hmm. So everything, whenever we approach a project in the right-of-way, mm -hmm. we have to be thinking about how we make it safe for all modes of transportation, not just vehicle travel, mm. motor vehicles. So uh, during the pandemic, that was expanded to also include how we can enhance, uh, not just make it safer, but enhance the public realm mm -hmm. to be less forgiving to vehicle to motor vehicles mm -hmm. and more safe for everyone else uh, and doing so and then creating the spaces where where things happen okay. you know community happens right. the economy and and all that and that's our streets mm -hmm. our streets are great right we need to we need to make our streets mm -hmm. bring them to a human scale and right. and 
in doing so, we will have uh, uh, connectiveness between the different spaces where where community happens. Mm-hmm. And that, and and I understand it, and and I know you obviously understand it. What do you think um, lies behind the disconnect between um, maybe some community members not fully understanding that? Um, we now have streets that are really available for everyone. I mean, like you said, it's not just for the vehicles, but we have safe, safe passages for our bicyclists. We have um, safe areas for our pedestrians to walk. What? Why do you think that there is this well, disconnect? One of the one of the things that I lead with when I explain um, the reasons for a bike lane, for example, is has nothing to do with bicycles, um, and and all to do with creating a safe environment for everyone else uh, outside of the motor vehicle. And that's, the, that's, the, that's right in, in front of us when we talk about and we look at how the North Street bike lanes have, uh, have performed. Mm-hmm. So we went down from two lanes to one lane. That's called a road diet. Uh, so now we're talking about traffic calming measures. Mm-hmm. So we implemented a road diet. And on top of that, while we have one lane less, what do we use with that? What do we do with that one lane? So let's let's have a different type of use that at the same time promotes safer travel. So let's add a bike lane. We didn't touch the parking. We didn't touch the one travel lane. We didn't change that. We just reduced from two lanes to one lane and repurposed one of them for a different mode of transportation. Right. In doing so, we made a safer street. And we can see that in the data already. I was just going to ask you about data. How is is this being measured? Yes. So right now we're in the collection uh, in the collection process um, of of all the data. But I can safely say right now that the you know crashes on North Street uh, went down. Um, you know I have the initial report from the uh, police department on that, and you can clearly see the trend uh, drop in in crashes as soon as we installed and went down from one to from one lane, I'm sorry, from two lanes yeah. to one lane. I think that's important for people to know because, you know, oftentimes people aren't thinking about that. Right. They're, they're just thinking it's different. And I think anytime we, you know, there's an introduction of something new, there's always an adjustment, right? People have to get used to, to new. But um, when we think about just innovation, innovation sh- sometimes comes with a shift, and, a, a lot of times. Yeah, a lot, a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. and, and But we see that, you know, we're not alone. The city of Pittsville isn't alone in this. I think it's important for people to also understand what other cities are doing things like this. So we're not just an outlier right here in the Berkshires. Definitely. And not just uh, big cities, but, all you know, cities of all sizes are trying the, things like these and and rolling with it. And, and everyone is noticing that when we prioritize for safety, Everyone wins. Okay. Tell me a little bit about, and, and so just for our listeners, there you go. We talked about bike lanes, um, <laughs> but please feel free that if you ever want to have questions about bike lanes, please feel free to call our, our Department of Public Services. Definitely. And we're always well um, happy to answer any questions because we really want people to understand that the bike lanes are part of a bigger a bigger purpose. Tell me a little bit about the parklets. Yes. Yeah, so as I mentioned, we, we have to create the streets are what connects uh, places where community happens, and parklets are part of that community. Mm-hmm. Are part of that 
um, uh, where things, where activity happens, and okay. we like to see that. Right. We 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 are always happy when we see things happening, human experience. Right. Right. So uh, the parklets themselves is essentially you can think about it as an extension of the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. So if we have sidewalks that do not have maybe the capacity or not enough space yeah. for the uh, activity for the human experience to happen, then we have we repurpose. Uh, a, a space that may not be fully used mm-hmm. or, or you know a parking space in, within the right of way and then repurpose it for, for a parklet and and in doing so we have more visibility we we first of all have to make the street safer for that to happen mm-hmm. and we have you know checked those marks on uh, specifically on north street so are the parklets here to stay or are they going to become a staple of downtown or I, I think so. Okay. Um we I love the we have to, you know, we have to think about them as like I said extensions of the of the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. If we but these are mobile extensions. Okay. So so if we need to move them to different locations because in in a particular place it's not working, mm-hmm. that can happen. Uh you know, we can be we have to be we have to we've learned to be versatile in that way and but we have to know that there's you know sometimes we we can try things right and and if it doesn't work we can shift and and rethink uh how we do it and and locate it in a different location all right so there's a lot of good things happening on north shore we got our parklets we have our complete streets concept you know if you could you know what would you say as words to encouragement to someone who says I don't know about this innovation. It's just not for me. I'm not going to visit North Street anymore. What would you say to them? I would feel sorry that someone would think that way uh, because because of bicycles. Um, you know, maybe it's hiding something beyond the, of a fear to go to North Street. But I, I, you know, those are deep feelings. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know why people would have so much hate for something that would drive them not to mm-hmm. uh, experience the the offerings of a lo- of a place like nor- downtown North Street. And there's a downtown lot of great Pittsfield. things happening on yes. North Street. So uh, you know, I would definitely encourage people to try it to experience what what uh, what happens in in Pittsfield. Many great things are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and everyone saying. Or a lot of people says uh, all of these things are an accident waiting to happen. I don't like that word first. Mm-hmm. You know, accidents uh, in in the street. There's no. There could be accidents, but what you mean is crashes, collisions. Because mm-hmm. we know how to design streets so that they're so that the collisions don't happen, and then when they do happen, the outcomes are less severe. Mm-hmm. So, people saying I don't I don't like it. I don't visit it. It's an accident waiting to happen. Those things are so far have been debunked. Mm-hmm. Accidents have decreased. You know, crashes, collisions have decreased. Mm-hmm. Uh, things are happening in Pittsfield and in, in, in downtown and North Street. Things, you know, life is happening. Right. Commerce is happening. Community is happening. So I like we that. need we 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 have seen an uptick in all those mm-hmm. things. So why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? I hear you. Well, there you go. 
Um, let's go across town to Tyler Street. We see some work going on sure. with the roundabout. Um, can you give an update on when that will be done? And there's also some work that's going to follow the roundabout, something called Streetscape. So can you explain to our listeners what that's about as well? Right. The The entire project is, is twofold. It's the roundabout and the Streetscape uh, portion of it. The roundabout is the first step we were tackling this year, and together with that, you uh, you know passerby, passersby uh, were noticing some work being done on the street as well between Woodlawn and and First Street. Um, so that's the first step, you know, working on the drainage, working on utilities. Mm-hmm. Next year, this year we'll finish the roundabout. Next year we're going to be focusing on the the geometric design okay. of Tyler Street. So that means we're going to be implementing uh, um, curve extensions to be to provide safe passage for pedestrians mm-hmm. at, at, at intersections. We're going to be providing uh, marked parking spaces. We're going to be providing new signalization for a couple of the intersections on Tyler Street. Wow. We're going to be providing uh, uh, new sidewalks. Mm-hmm. And also, um, we're going to be providing bike lanes with with a buffer. So um, here's the same same uh, trend. We're going to create a street that's safe for not just vehicle motor vehicle drivers, but for everyone else okay. as well. If I could just go back a little bit, you just said that the roundabout is going to be finished like this year, so like this fall. It's, yes. So people are going to be able to use the roundabout. Yes. Wow. That's amazing. That's That's, great. Yeah. Um, Exciting. It's very exciting. I feel like Tyler Street is going to, it's almost, it's getting like a facelift. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Very nice. Okay. So um, I just wanted to, you know, leave in the professional realm a little bit. Um, What are some of the things that you do in your spare time? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, obviously, uh, enjoy time with my family. Mm -hmm. Love, love enjoying time with my family, with my kids, my wife. Um, my, my parents are also here. My, my sister moved here too. So we, we also enjoy time together and, you know, every now and then, um, outside of that, I love, uh, you know, playing board games and, and collect them. So <laughs> nice. I could get, uh, equally passionate about a discussion about board games. All right. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I also, Picked up a few things when I came here that I never really did in in Puerto Rico, such as <laughs> well uh, snow snow related things. Uh, I learned I learned to snowboard. I learned to um, you know go down the hill. That's not much of a learning experience, but go down the hill on a tube or a, uh, a sl- some I don't know what you call the sleigh. it sleigh sleigh. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, you know it, it, I. Haven't done it quite often, uh, you know, racing little kids. Right. Uh, but last last winter, we we were able to pick up where we left a few years ago on on that end. So I expect that to continue. Good for you. Um, and so I'm just going to round it out with a couple more questions. Um, where or from whom do you find inspiration? Yeah, um, inspiration to me comes from 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 many places um but uh if we're talking about people it comes f- from from many many people but what i would say is the what everyone that everything that inspires me 
has something in common and that, and that's learning more about your surroundings learning it's 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 constantly looking for uh expanding your knowledge and and at the same time you know being uh cognizant and, and recognizing that what we don't know <laughs> is a lot more than what we do so <laughs> i i consider myself as you know a student uh, for for uh, on everything um i never stop <laughs> never stop learning i think that's a good thing um and and lastly if you had one word to describe yourself what would that word be well i, I following on on the previous question um that would be uh, curious all right yeah i i i don't want to ever stop being curious i hear you ricardo that's that's a good place to be that would be my urge to anyone listening to Uh don't stop being curious good advice when we do that we we stop being we 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 stop being kids you know and and learning about things and good advice and i think hopefully our our listeners will take that to heart Ricardo, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for um, um, providing context and background into who you are, not only as a commissioner, but also as an individual, a resident in the city of Pittsville. I so welcome the information and the interview today. Thank you so much. Thank you for being on the hot seat about North Street as well. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, all right, everyone, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with our next guest, Alan Rubin. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> The Berkshire's only rock station, 89.7 WTBR-FM, Pittsfield, Massachusetts. High School Sports is back, and PCTV Sports has you covered. Pittsfield Community Television is proud to bring you live coverage of soccer, cross-country, volleyball, and PCTV Sports is proud to bring you the new Berkshire County High School football game of the week this season. You can find games on PCTV ETV Channel 1302, PCTV Select, and the Pittsfield Community Television Facebook page. Go to PittsfieldTV.org sports to see our upcoming games. Support for PCTV Sports comes from Lee Bank, Berkshire Community College, Interprint Inc. in Pittsfield, and County Ambulance. Ready for K is a texting program offered free for families in Berkshire County with children ages 0 to 9. Each week, you receive three texts with fun facts and tips to help your child learn and grow. It works. Research shows that the simple strategies built on daily routines like getting dressed or preparing a meal lead to two to three months of child learning gains. Sign up for Ready for K at BerkshireUnitedWay.org and make everyday moments teachable moments. Hey, this is Chief Wynn with the Pittsfield Police Department and Lieutenant Gary Traversa. Hey, Gary. Hey, Chief. We just want to remind all of our listeners and viewers to tune in every Friday for On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, and also on Pittsfield Community Television. Right, Gary? Don't miss Friday mornings, 9 a.m. on WTBR FM, all the happenings at the Pittsfield Police Department. On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. (laughs) 
Hi, everyone. You're listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on 89.7 WTBRFM with Roberta McCulloch-Dews of the mayor's office in the city of Pittsville. Thanks for tuning in. So another round of thanks to the city's commissioner, Ricardo Morales, for starting off our conversation. Now I'd like to welcome Alan Rubin. Alan, thank you for being here today. Even in retirement, you're a man who continues <laughs> to wear many titles. You are a former engineer a veteran business owner, a soccer coach, and an instructor and mentor with the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at BCC, also known as Ollie. You're very busy. Very busy, Alan. Very busy. But before we delve into that, let's go into a few stats, okay? So we set the stage so people get to know you. Is okay. that okay? Yeah, fine. All right. So prior to uh, your move to the city of Pittsville um, about five years ago, you have been a part of the Berkshire community for quite some time. You have been here in the Berkshires for about 15 years? 15 years, yes. All right. Perfect. All right. And so you are a native New Yorker through and through? Yes, I was born in Manhattan. Born and raised in Harlem in 1935. Right. 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 Um, you don't mind that I said I said you're you're the year that you were born, do you? No. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, I think one of the amazing things I, I think about that is that you've seen the city transform in so many ways, um, and you just have such great observations and experiences that few of us can even, you know, imagine. So I think that's pretty amazing and fascinating. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but after your career, right, after enjoying a really successful career, you retired to the Berkshires in 2005. Right. And you haven't slowed down since. Well, I've always liked to be busy. Okay. All right. You know, ever since I was a kid, uh-huh. I, I always liked to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was, uh, I, I lived in Upper Manhattan, and uh, from the age of about seven, I mm-hmm. used to get up at seven in the morning and go out to the schoolyard, and we'd spend the whole day playing ball in the schoolyard. And my mother knew if I wasn't home for lunch because I lived right across the street from the schoolyard mm-hmm. to bring a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> that was the agreement. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I just want to find out what's the secret today to all of your energy because I think that there are some people that would love to do the things that you're doing, but you have this un you see have this unseemly limitless you know reservoir of energy. So where does that come from? Well, one of it is the the luck of you know uh, of genetics. You know, I, I happen to uh, have you know aches and pains of some of my age, but uh, I still have my energy. And so, as long as you have that, that's you know uh, most of the battle. And as long as you can get around, then there's so much to do. So that's that's what it is. And you're doing it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, um, you are a man who has done many things. And I kind of want to get into um, going a little bit back into your academic training. So your training is in a field called metallurgical engineering. Is that correct? That's correct. Today it's called material sciences. Material sciences. Okay. And if I have it correctly, it's described as a study of metals and how they can be um, like transformed into products that basically benefit mankind. Is that kind of like a good description? Or? Well, it's, it's one of many things. I mean, uh, any product you have, mm-hmm. uh, like bridges, you don't have bridges without metals. Uh, right. So it was, um, it's funny because I, I had wanted to be uh, an electrical engineer, and I started school at uh, Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania mm-hmm. to study uh, electrical engineering. And in my sophomore year, we had a course 
in metallurgy for non-metallurgists, and I found that I was reading the book for fun. Mm. So I decided to switch over. So mm-hmm. that that was that turned out to be a good decision for me. Well, <clears throat> one of the things I want to ask you, just piggybacking off that, was was this like a popular field of study back um, when you were in school? Well, it was at Lehigh. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, um, uh, more and more departments over the years uh, started to uh, develop it, but uh, <clears throat> I uh, Lehigh happened to have uh, uh, notoriety in uh, the um, iron and steel industry. They did a lot of welding development. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, in fact, uh, I, I my, my senior year, uh, I, I went to a prep school because my high school was going on double sessions, oh. and my mother felt that. Uh, would, would hurt me getting into a college. And one of my professors there was a Lehigh graduate. Oh. And I happened to like him and uh, got to uh, know more about it. So I ended up going there. So it's, you know, you could go crazy figuring out what colleges to go to. And I advise uh, a lot of youngsters today. And I said, you know, it almost doesn't make a difference where you go. It's what you do when you're there that counts. Alan, that is such uh, that is that is the most um, critical piece of advice because it's it's really whether it's in school or work what you put into it. If you put in zero, you get back zero. If you yeah. put in a hundred, you get a hundred. <coughs> it all goes into your effort and the energy. So you're absolutely and spot on with that because that's something that I I adhere to that philosophy as well. I want to talk about the shift from your. Uh, start as an engineer in this field to your family's business, RCI Radio Clinic. So I'm just going to let the viewers know a little bit about this business, right? It was a staple on the Upper West Side, um, 98th and Broadway, to be specific. And you were at the helm of the family business for about 40 years, right? Um, um, So the business actually opened in 1934, a year before you were born. Right. And it was started by your father, Leon Rubin. Right. Okay. And he immigrated to the United States from the Ukraine in 1922 um, at the age of 12, right? Right, right. And um, and one of the funny things, as I was just you know doing research on your on the store, it said that your dad used to sit in the window with a smock right. and fix radios, and it, it was very endearing to the people in the community because it looked like a doctor's smock. Well, that's how the original name was Radio Clinic, mm-hmm. and he was quite an interesting individual. I I I, I didn't get any formal business training. But when I worked for him in high school, uh, weekends and a couple of summers, just listening to him telling stories of when he was growing up and his different business uh, uh, jobs and stuff, that was an education in itself. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you don't get that in, in textbooks. So, uh, so, And one of the things I learned from him, he used to always start, anytime I'd ask him a question, his first words was, it's simple. Hmm. And he always started from the premise it was simple. And I developed that philosophy is no matter what I face, my first thought, it's simple. Mm -hmm. I mean, finding out what to do may be simple. Doing it may be very hard. But a lot of people don't even realize what they're trying to solve. So Mm -hmm. the the, the real question is, what do you want to accomplish? Mm -hmm. And then once you want to accomplish it, then then you go in that direction. That's actually a, a really you know um wise advice i mean thinking about 
you know, complex issues and problems, starting from the standpoint of it's simple. It breaks it down. It makes it feel like it's solvable, right? And that you can actually tackle it. Um, You know, in addition to that advice, you know, obviously seeing your dad come to this, knowing that he wasn't, he's an immigrant, right? He started this business. What was the feeling for you as a young adult, knowing that your dad basically embodied the American dream, right? He came to this country, started a business. It was very successful. How did that make you feel as a young person? Well, when I was very young, I never really thought much about it. As I got older, and particularly when I went into the business, I started to realize the significance of what he accomplished. (coughs) And, you know, beyond what I'm saying now, my daughter wrote a book about uh, the business and the Upper West Side, and uh, she included it as an 80-year arc of an immigrant coming to the United States and how it affected a neighborhood and a business. So uh, so looking through her perspective, uh, it, was, it was a nice uh, story about putting a lot of meaning to what he had done. Yeah. And then uh, when I, I went into the business when he was still alive, and unfortunately he got sick, mm. and, uh, and it was an opportunity. I was looking to change jobs mm-hmm. uh, in industry, and uh, uh, my dad approached me and said, what do you think about coming in? Uh, and I figured, well, when will I ever have a chance to start a business without putting any money down? Mm-hmm. I'll give it a try. So I tried it for 40 years. Well, that's a long try. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, um, you know, through through those 40 years, you've, you've actually seen a lot of things. And, you know, um, the book that your daughter wrote, um, you know, I think she also, I think, it's, so it's called We Are Staying 80 Years in the Life of a Family, a Store, and a Neighborhood, correct? Right. All right. And so one of the things in the book, she talks about the blackout of right. 1977 in New York City. And right. for those who weren't alive during that time or may not be um, familiar with the blackout of 1977, talk a little bit about about that and what that meant for your store at the time? Well, it saved us from going out of business because mm-hmm. my, my father had died. Uh, I was a partner with my brother-in-law uh, for five years after my dad died, and we were on the point of uh, uh, I was buying him out. And uh, just at the time that we, I started to learn, I didn't know at the time I agreed to buy the business that we had no money in the bank we had no credit in the industry, and a lot of people wouldn't ship us. I didn't know that. And so, and a lot of people didn't even know that he had a partner. So the uh, blackout uh, and the looting that followed gave people an excuse to work with us. Okay. And so, uh, so you know, people look at me like I'm crazy that when I say that was the best thing that happened to us, it was. Right. Because uh, you, you, you go into... Um, uh, a situation on a crisis basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, the things I learned where uh, you know, you don't want to be reckless when you do something, mm-hmm. but you don't want to hold back and lose opportunities. And I figured that you know I don't have anything to lose, mm-hmm. so I'll try things that mm-hmm. I wouldn't normally try. Mm-hmm. And most of them, you know, a few things are failures, but mm-hmm. most things work. And uh, I'm actually working on a book now on the, uh, how my background as a soccer goalkeeper for 10 years mm-hmm. uh, helped me 
uh, throughout my career, and it's you know lessons you learn as a goalkeeper. Hmm. So I'm trying to uh, integrate that kind of influence in in how a lot of my decisions in that business uh, uh, occurred. Well, I mean, I, I think I think you have you know hit the nail on the head when you talk about that. Sometimes it's in the moment of crisis that we learn our greatest lesson. And for some businesses during 1977, maybe they didn't survive. Maybe for some. Um, the impact of that time and maybe the the chaotic situation that followed, there were different outcomes, but you guys were still there and being a staple on the Upper West Side. I know that even though you, when you retired from the business, the business was still um, in operation, right? It didn't close until... uh, 2014 was that it? Or 2014 they moved from the Upper West Side to Queens. I think that was. They, they didn't move. To they Queens. didn't move. Where did they move to? They just went out of business. They just went out of business. They but were, they were telling everyone they were going to move to Queens. He was telling everybody they were going because uh, he wanted to keep getting uh, benefits. And oh stuff. geez. <coughs> well, I think one of the things you know in when when the story first broke about the business, you know, ultimately it did not transition to Queens. It, it 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 closed for good. But there were a lot of recollections from people saying um, this this store was a, a neighborhood staple. This store, I they they had such um, fond memories of it, and I found some. Um, there was a thread right online that basically talked about that, and I think your daughter even weighed in, and I think you even jumped yeah, in on the thread. The West Side Rag, yeah, the yeah. West Side Rag, yeah, and you yeah. talked about that. Um, <clears throat> and how did it make you feel to know that the family business had such an impact on the community after all this time? Well, you you always knew that you. <laughs> you always knew that mm-hmm. you had an impact, but mm-hmm. you never knew to what degree. Yeah. And we always would do things in the neighborhood. We mm-hmm. would always uh, 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 help sponsor uh, basketball leagues you know, and things like that. But when the store got looted and the day we had three stores at the time, and even though that store was closed, the warehouse was in the basement, we was, it was 95 degrees, so we were still delivering our air conditionings and keeping everything going. And um, people kept coming in and saying, uh, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I got tired of having Mm -hmm. to answer questions all the time. So I put a sign on the window basically to keep people off my back. I said, we are staying. And and that's where my daughter got the title of the book. But people brought flowers. It was just an amazing uh, response from the neighborhood. And that's when I realized that as much as you think you're part of a neighborhood, you don't really know what a small business means to a neighborhood. Right. I feel like, I mean, I, I it's been a while since I, I've been um, in New York City, but I feel like from the stories I've heard, the landscape has changed in so many ways in terms of just the exit of small businesses and um, just the rise of some of the, the larger corporations because of just the, the, the money, right? The rent and all well, of that. Well, one one year, a nice young couple came mm-hmm. around, and they were doing a survey on uh, how long you can be in business, stuff like that. And they said, don't waste your time. Just ask them when their lease is up hmm. because no one could afford the increases. Right. You know, we, we went from $7,000 a month to uh, $25,000 a month, and it was escalating, and no one can afford that. $25,000 a month in rent? In rent. <laughs> I told my landlord, it's crazy. He says, you're right, but I can get it. <laughs> wow. 
That's crazy. It is. That's crazy. Um, that's actually interesting. I was reading an article yesterday in the New York Times, and um, they were talking about just the change in landscape in Soho. And they said how, and Soho used to be the bastion for like all the designer shops exactly. and everything. Rent at one location is going for $40,000 a month. I know. Yeah. Crazy. And no, and no one can afford it. No one can afford it. So, you know. That's what happened on Columbus Avenue. Yeah. They had all these European designer shops mm-hmm. come in, but they all went out of business within a year. They could never afford the rent. So yeah. somebody else went in and, and stayed a year. It, it was crazy. Yeah, they got to figure it out. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, while they're figuring it out, you're living your life. <laughs> so you're here. And, you know, when you moved to the Berkshires after you retired, um, you kept it going. So even though you retired professionally, you didn't miss a beat in terms of your community service and your um, involvement with different groups. So let's talk a little bit about Ollie. Um, h- how did you get involved with Ollie? Because you're an instructor there and you also take courses there. So tell me a little bit about your affiliation with them. Well, before, uh, many years ago, uh, we had a place over on uh, Lake Pontusic. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had it for a few years, but at that time, the beginning of Ollie was just starting. Mm-hmm. And so it uh, morphed, it was a lifelong learning, and then it morphed into uh, Ollie. And so it was just uh, a natural to take courses. But uh, for people, Berkshire County has a very high percentage of retirees like us. Mm-hmm. And it was a way of getting like an instant network of friends and so you'd go to class and no nobody and by the time the class was over you'd have 10 new friends oh wow yeah so it was a really nice uh, way of uh, uh one of the downsides of the pandemic mm-hmm. is most of the uh new people coming to ollie they don't meet face to face it's mm-hmm. online which is good but it doesn't have the same multiplying effect. But it, they're starting to go back into hybrid now. Yeah, and I was just going to ask you the pan, like the the pandemic's effect on the networking and the engagement that you've come to enjoy. How has that been for you? I mean, it's being on Zoom. We've all had to transition to that. But did you find? I mean, what were some of the things that you um, found maybe challenging moving into that realm? Well, I had been on taking online courses about Mm -hmm. 35, 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. So going online to take courses was nothing new to me. Mm -hmm. So, um, but, and then I was actually one of the people that would help uh, other Ali members get familiar with Zoom, uh, do that. So to me, it was an easy transition. uh, And most people got, picked it up pretty quickly but even with like the engagement i mean having apart from your courses no one was really like getting together and saying we're gonna you know come together and you know just maybe hang out and a few people a few oh in your pod you had a pod yeah yeah. okay we we have a group of friends you have group friends and it's it's, you know you don't need a lot of friends you just need a few good ones so i hear that alan No, so you know, I'm a catalyst for mm-hmm. a monthly his- history study group. Okay, and we used to meet at uh, Alta for lunch, mm-hmm. and you can't do that anymore. No. Uh, so we've continued online. Okay, and the email distribution list is about a hundred people right wow. now. Wow, 
That's so nice. we have a lot of good discussions mm-hmm. uh, online. So I, I, I find it's better in person, yeah. but I don't think it's diminished by being online. That's good to hear. And I think that's good for folks to know, especially if they're interested in getting involved with Ali, that there is ample room for engagement. And um, and so it, it's there as a resource if Membership people want Membership is it. up. That's, I, yeah. yeah. I think people are, people want, connections. I think that what we have seen coming out of this pandemic is that connections are so important and we need them as human beings. Right. We do. Um, one of the things I want to talk about um, is with Ali, you are also affiliated with their the Ali BCC Mentoring for Success program. And you've been with this program for a while, right? So Since the beginning. How many mentees have you had? I've had maybe Five or six. Okay. All right. Uh, my best mentee is now back in his home country of Mexico okay. starting a business. Wow. I fully expect him to be a politician, but uh, <laughs> he says he's not going to. Okay. But um, what, what it is, is uh, and this is true of mentoring in general, is you get somebody and uh, you don't tell them what to do. You just ask them questions and sort of help them find their own way. My first uh, experience with mentoring, I was very friendly with uh, Ruth Messinger, who was the borough president of Manhattan at Mm -hmm. the time. And she called me and she said, would you spend some time talking to a young couple that wants to start a business? I said, fine. So a couple of weeks later, she called me. She said, how did it go? I said, I don't know. All I did was answer questions. And she says, that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and ever since then, you're like, okay, I'm going to run with it. <laughs> well, that, that's all mentoring is, right. is, is asking questions. And it's a lot of satisfaction seeing somebody have an idea mm-hmm. and seeing them go with it. And a lot of times they uh, change direction. Mm-hmm. You know, with what they, what they want to do doesn't make sense. So they segue into something else. And mm-hmm. that's the beauty of it is they get people to um, – to you know, one of the things that I learned from soccer goalkeeping mm-hmm. is that you have to bounce back from mistakes. Yeah. I never called a goal against me a mistake. It was somebody else's mistake up the field. Yeah. But a goalkeeper is the visual. He's, that's the visual end product of yeah. a goal being scored. Mm-hmm. So the blame is always on the goalkeeper. Okay. But goalkeepers know it's never their fault. Well, <laughs> let's. I think that's a great segue into. Um, in, into just the realm of, of soccer and everything, because this is something that you are extremely passionate about, Alan. And I think as a, as a young person in junior high school, in high school, you played a lot of sports, but soccer is where your heart was at, right? That's the one I loved. Okay, yeah. so tell me a little bit about why you, um, how you continued on with soccer as an adult. Well, I went to a, at that time, uh, six-year junior-senior high school. Mm-hmm. So uh, in ninth grade, you're basically a senior in junior high school <laughs> instead mm-hmm. of a freshman in high school. So in eighth grade, I wanted to go out for JV football and because I had never, ever seen a soccer ball in my life. And you had to be a ninth grader. So one of my friends from the baseball team said, go out for soccer for a year and stay in shape. He said, you like sports. I said, okay. So we go down to the first practice, and I said, Skippy, I, I don't know anything about the game. He says, be a goalkeeper. You don't have to know anything. <laughs> and so it was like uh, the very first practice, I fell in love with the uh, position. Okay. I played for 10 years, including a couple of years in graduate school and college as a semi-pro. 
never played in the field. I, I never never did that. Okay. And so uh, I, I just love the fact of being part of a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I developed the uh, f- philosophy is that it's about enjoying what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Winning is a bonus, but you can one of the best games I ever played, I lost six nothing. And and I used that as a teaching tool mm-hmm. for my students and I said, I lost six nothing, mm-hmm. but I did not feel diminished. Mm-hmm. I went out and I did my best. And that's what you want to get them to do is to realize that they're not defined by whether they won or lost. But they, I think that's an important concept, Alan, because I think today there's a lot of emphasis on winning, right? If you to win, to be the first, to be the best. And if you're anything less than that, there's a feeling of failure. So I think having messages and reminders that it's about it's not about the winning itself, right? It's right. about everything that you put into it. Right. And 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 I think those are messages that um, that are powerful. How do you um, tell me a little bit about your affiliation right now with young people and goalkeeping and all and and also coaches throughout the, the county? You you do a lot of work in well, this area. <coughs> I've stepped back from uh, uh, coaching mm-hmm. physically uh, partially because uh, of the year lost to the. Uh, uh, COVID-19 mm-hmm. and, and the fact that I'm now 86. So I figured it's it's time to not be out in the hot sun anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I like working with kids. So I'm now uh, doing more work in uh, helping them with the mental aspect of the game. Okay. In other words, um, uh, getting kids to realize that like a goalkeeper, there's a young goalkeeper that uh, I've been coaching since he was a little tiny kid and he's now doing he's in the paper all the time for baseball he's really developing into a a terrific uh spokesperson where do you work with these kids at a school or how do you well i have been coaching uh, i swim and i'm a member of the dalton cra Mm -hmm. and they have a wonderful uh program year-round but i was coaching uh one week every summer from uh uh nine to noon uh and I would have uh, kids uh, doing that. And then um, I also would volunteer uh, helping. Uh, I became friendly with, uh, she's, I don't think she's doing it anymore, mm-hmm. but she had been the coach of the Takana girls team. Mm-hmm. And she contacted me and she says, uh, um, it, it's a new job for me. Uh, I've, I, I played soccer, but I've never coached. And I have no goalkeepers coming back. So I said, okay, I'll work with you. Mm-hmm. And we had four young women who had never played goalkeeper before. Wow. And we had 10 days to the first game. So I said to them, you'll never learn goalkeeping in 10 days, so we consider this on-the-job training. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to tell me, what was the outcome? Did they, how did it they work out? They won two games out of 18 okay and they enjoyed every game they played good that was that was the most important thing that they good. enjoyed every game they played All right. and they ended up tying the league championship they mount graylock was mm-hmm. a powerhouse they tied them in the last game and they considered that a winning season wow wow <laughs> alan i'm telling you you have so much information and so much great advice and and it, i think it's a great thing that um you're still um sharing everything that you know with the community if people want to learn more about just the things that you're doing how can they follow you are you are in social media do you have a blog do you have a website what i i well i have a, a 
a website that, that's sort of been dormant, but I'm sort of trying mm-hmm. to uh, pick it up. Uh, I have a blog that's the History Study Group blog, so okay. people can log on to that. Or they can How eat. can they find that, Alan? Is it through Ali or? No, no, no. It's independent of Ali. What's um, the address? It's uh, www.historystudygroup.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or they can email me. Okay. A-I-R-U-B-I-N-13 at Gmail. Mm-hmm. And I'd be happy to uh, help anybody. Nice. Thank you, Alan. Because one of the things that I remember is so many people helped me mm-hmm. growing up. That is important now to help other people. You're awesome, Alan. (laughs) (laughs) If you had to choose one word to describe yourself, what would that be? Other than stubborn, I would say optimistic. (laughs) (laughs) Why would you say stubborn? I'm very flexible, but sometimes if I really, really believe in something... I won't budge. (laughs) All right. Well, Alan, it's been a pleasure. I enjoyed um, just speaking with you this morning. I think our listeners enjoyed it as well. And so I hope that they will check out your blog and, um, you know, look you up if they have more questions about goalkeeping. That'd be great. Um, Everyone, you've been listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on WTBRFM Pittsfield with Roberta McCulloch-Dews of the mayor's office in the city of Pittsfield. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great day. 